Check out We Are Calvin football podcast in association with McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Real food, real people. Try Super Value's own range in store today. Quality products at one third the price of branded labels. McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Supporting local. We Are Calvin podcast. Because Calvin is not just a place, it's a people. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the McAvoy Super Value GEA podcast brought to you by We Are Cavan. On today's show, we're going to be going through your talking points sent in on social media. As always, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Fitzpatrick, the sports editor of the Anglo Celtic. Paul, it just feels like everything has just, the lights have gone out. It feels like it's very, very quiet and peaceful in the build up to Christmas compared to maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I think we're just coming back down, down to the ground. Like, like week on week on week, things were just building and building and building to the crescendo, which was the Ulster final. And then, uh, you know, the Dublin game was probably a little bit of a bonus at, uh, on top of that because we we're still kind of digesting. After all those years, 23 years waiting, you're not going to digest an Ulster final that quickly. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is building up. It's not for me because I had a big 16-1 to winner on Sunday. If you're following my Twitter, you'd have seen that. I did. i seen that all right, yeah. Like no, I didn't. I don't have an online account. I'm going to have to get one for the odd flutter that you'd send my way because I was sick as hell because you took a lot of abuse in that WhatsApp group about the 16 to 1 shot. I did. I took a lot of abuse. That, that WhatsApp group, it's, it's funny. Uh, we have a WhatsApp so group. Nice. We have a WhatsApp group and I've only put up about three bets in the last month and they've all come in at massive prices. I was just going to say, we're all huge, huge money makers. Uh, it's pure luck because I've had an awful lot of losers. Well, not an awful lot, but I've had a few losers in that time as well. But uh, yeah, that was the bet. Which got me thinking, Damien, about something that I stuck up on Twitter. Yeah, listeners know what the bet was. Oh, sorry, yeah, the bet was no goals in the in the All-Ireland Senior Horan final uh, was 16-1, to 1, which was crazy stuff. And it got me thinking about the... Uh, the Horan and I stuck up a poll on Twitter and it's got nearly 1500 responses at the minute and the question was uh, is Horan now more boring as, as a spectator sport than football so I'd be interested to hear your t- point of view on that do you know what at the, at the top level it probably is like I, it's it's definitely that the G, that, that football has gone to a lot more attacking like as in there's less blanket defences and, and even the teams who do play blanket defence have put in so much more emphasis on the counter attack, um, but for me the goals in Horland were were, were were this spectacular part of it. You know, I I, I wasn't as impressed, or I am not as impressed by the point taken because you can hit a ball so far in it. You know, but it's I there's definitely a strong argument to say that the swing has gone back to football now. I I definitely I'd be leaning towards that, but probably I'm a little bit leaning towards football in general anyway. Well, I've, I've always thought football was better myself. And there's a reason why football is is 
uh, played much more wide, widely than Hurling is. But I think it's a better game. And Hurling people are absolutely up their own holes. Like we all know that. And that, like I've written about this before. We all know that. Like if you watch that documentary, the game. Someone said to me we should start doing Mo's rant of the week. So maybe this can be the first one after my rant last week. If you watch that documentary, the game about Hurling, some of the stuff that was that they came out with in that. Nobody owns Hurling. Hurling just lives. Uh, Hurling is a game for the gods, and gods play it. Yeah, I think at one stage it was said something like, um, "Horland is the game for for the um, the dead who live forever and the living who will never die." Get over yourselves, boys. Get over yourselves. Horland's a good game, but it needs it benefits from from getting brilliant press, whereas Hor- uh, football gets bad press all the time. Yeah. And and the likes of Joe Brawley, who you've won me over with, with your Joe Brawley criticism. I used to like Brawley, but. Uh, I, I don't like for example Bradley had in a column last week something about he, he fits things into his, into his narrative what he wants to see he had something about Dean Rock how he missed a free I think it was against me and he was beating himself up he was so mad and he said he, he was absolutely faultless then against Cavan and he wasn't faultless against yeah. Cavan he did well but he missed he missed a few chances against I mean, Cavan at least three wides yeah like oh he was faultless against Cavan he said but anyway yeah Horland no the game the game Mickey Hannon uh, pointed out to me, and he was it was a lovely piece of observation. He said that the collisions are going out of it. People think of the horrors have got bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. Like they're absolute brutes. I think that that Limerick team, I think, is the best collection of athletes we've ever seen in the GA. Even more so than Dublin footballers. Like they are absolute specimens from one to fifteen. And like you saw the Galway team in the All Ireland semi final as well. Like not a player hardly on the field on their on their six two or six three. It's crazy stuff. But the collisions are gone out of it. If you take the, the weakness in Horland always was the the rooks. Anyway, like the rooks, when you see a player full flow and striking the ball cleanly and all that, and even sideline cuts and all that, that's that's good. Goals are really good. They, that's all great skill. But a rook is is not. A rook yeah. is just everyone to get in, stick your arse into the next lad, and try and hoosh him out of the way and get your stick to the ball. And but what you're seeing now is a, you're seeing the, a lot of rooks, but that's the only place you're really seeing collision because. Uh, their teams are playing the ball through the lines. And I had to ask someone what they meant by that at the weekend, but they were saying, obviously, play it from the full-back line to the half-back line and right up. And then they're within range, and they're just going to shoot. And, you know, it's a lot easier to score three points in Horland now than it is to score a goal. Way easier. Way easier. It's probably easier to score to score five points now than it is to score a goal. So, uh, I, I, yeah, that's just something that was... That was uh, bothering me recently so fair play to you. you're brave enough to take on the, the Horland fraternity because I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it um, quite that that strongly but um, yeah definitely I, I do think that there is a shift towards towards football being a better spectator sport at the moment anyway and, and I think we're in for an absolute thriller with Mona or with Mayo and Dublin now I think that that Mayo's defence are going to be absolutely cleaned by this Dublin forward line, but I think Mayo's forward line will get north of 16, 17 scores on the Dublin team as well, so it's going to be, I think it'll be a thriller. Yeah, the funny thing, I, I'm very optimistic about, about Mayo, really optimistic about them. I'm really, really hopeful that Mayo are going to possibly do it this time. <laughs> That's The thing is, the odds are not great on Mayo. Like, you're only like 4-1 to one or 9-2. When you consider the general consensus, I haven't met one person that's not from Mayo that, that thinks they're going to win. So you'd imagine the odds would be a lot longer. Like Originally, to lift the cup, when the odds first came out there a couple of weeks ago, they were 3-1 they were to one or 11 or which actually, if anyone, to put it in perspective, was shorter than Cavan were to beat Monaghan in the first round of the championship. It's crazy stuff. But like I was looking at Mayo 
and the way Kieran Brady could, or Dublin, and the way Kieran Brady could find space, and they are full of powerful runners and even more powerful runners than the Halla, uh, and they've loads of them, and I think they'll find they'll find that space, and at the back, yeah. I mean, there were, there were calamity at times against Tipperary, but Cavan were calamity at times in the Ulster Championship as well. But when I really came to it in the Ulster Final, the backs were brilliant. And they're every bit as experienced as Dublin. They're actually, going into the semi-finals, the starting teams, the combined appearances was 504 on both teams, which is an amazing stat. They're absolutely bang on in terms of, of that experience. So I, I, I think, and also winter football. We've never before in the last 20 years seen teams, the elite Gaelic football teams, playing in December. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how you know funny things have happened when we've seen them playing in the winter. There's going to be funny results, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. What I'm really looking forward to seeing is the fact that I think Dublin's flaws in their game plan dropping off a sweeper, and it gives an extra runner coming out the field. Now, it has worked in terms that they don't concede goals and, and very few goal chances, but Mead got at them a couple of times with that sweeper in place and I don't know if they're really good at that system so I think Mayo will really get at them in in terms of that that system doesn't really work that well for Dublin anymore I think Keno Sullivan was excellent at it but I'm not too sure that McDade or or Bugler or or, or Howard or any of them dropping into that are as good or even Owen Merchant dropping in as the sweeper yeah. is is as effective as Keno Sullivan was so I think that that's where and a lot of the time when Dublin were doing it with Keane O'Sullivan, it was because the opposition were doing it and it allowed Keane to be completely free. So I don't think you're going to come up against that with Mayo. I think Mayo will push up and they'll identify the extra body like Kieran Brady found against Dublin and they'll punish it a bit more. But I also think at the opposite end, you can get at them so so easily, Mayo's defence. And I think that that's where Dublin may just have a little bit more quality. But... Mayo are going to ask huge quality, huge questions. Like if Killian O'Connor finds himself inside in a one-on-one with Owen Merchant, or you know even O'Shea inside with Johnny Cooper or Philly McMahon going in, they're they're still going to want to put that ball in because they will try a different, a, a lot more high ball. I think. I think we'll see Mayo going and, and trying for that long direct ball, which I think is is a, definitely one of the ways you're going to beat this Dublin team. But you won't beat them with any one attacking style you're going to have to play multiple and Mayo can do that as well but I still think Dublin will have it yeah well if you look if you look at the, the single biggest advantage Dublin have forget about money and everything else the single biggest advantage is Crow Park and they're so accustomed to it and, and they're brilliant there it's their home ground and it, it literally is it became their home ground when they started playing their National League games there and that's the single biggest advantage should be taken away from them the money debate I'm, I'm not as caught up in it uh, uh, as the other as some other people are but you you look at Kerry. We'll say when they went in last year, um, Kerry had a horrendous record in in Crow Park. Like they lost the National League final there last year. They had lost something like they had not won a Crow Park in something like eight games, which was a terrible bad record. Obviously, traditionally Kerry are a great Crow Park team, but that Kerry team had a poor record in Crow Park. Mayo are outside of Dublin. Mayo are probably the best team in Ireland in Crow Park. Yeah. They're super in, in Croker. Like they've lost finals, but they've played well in, in a lot of those finals. They love it and and. So that you can probably take that advantage away from Dublin for the fact that Mayo love it, and the fact that it's not in front of a crowd, I think that that's going to work in Mayo's favour as well. So I think that where I think it was a pillar or or, or Kieran Whelan said it's a six seven point advantage. I think with Mayo it might be a two three point advantage in fa- in favour of Dublin still. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. But I mean that's leveling the playing field. So I I have this sense that that Dublin 
are, are past their peak. They're slightly in decline. Now that's not saying they're gonna they might rise again. Um, but you know, you, you can't keep that level at the top all the time. There's going to be slight dips here and there. They might be good enough to win it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that they're they did. Good they, as the yeah, they, they didn't peak last year or the year before. I think that, I have a sense that they did. Now they could prove me completely wrong and they could win the final by twenty points, um, which is which is possible. But that doesn't change the fact that I still think up to now that there's been just little frailties there that we haven't seen with Dublin before. <clears throat> Contrary to what Joe Brawley said, and that's what Brawley said is a, is a brilliant example of, of another thing that I want to talk about. The whole narrative that's around Dublin, people see what they, what they want to see. People, a lot of people aren't capable of standing back and actually seeing the wider picture, seeing what's really happening. We saw it with Donegal as well. Do, someone says it, an influential pundit, a tastemaker says Donegal are the team best position to, to beat Dublin. Donegal can beat Dublin. Donegal can beat Dublin. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it goes around like a Chinese whisper, and everyone's believing it. Yeah. There was no, there was. We said it before the podcast. There was no truth in that. There was no nothing to base it on. Basing it on beating a poor Armagh team, hammering them out the gate, and then a dogfight against their own, which they've had loads of them over the years. So the, you look at this this Dublin team. Like you probably says, uh, Dean Rock, poor missed a free against me, beat himself up, faultless against Cavan. No, he wasn't. So people need to, shouldn't just read that and believe it. That's not true. And there's, there's been a hundred teams things written about Dublin, and a lot of them might might be true or might not be true. This was always my point with Joe Brawley. He set the agenda on the Sunday game where, more often than not, he was doing harm to the perception of Gaelic football. That oh, this was terrible. Black debt from Cavan being one example of it. Even though when he christened it, Cavan were, were were moving away from that style, becoming a very attacking team. So. That's that's my point all along with the likes of Joe Brawley was that he sets the agenda and the conversation around Gaelic football and people then go, oh, well, Joe Brawley said it and somebody else picks up on it. So I think that people have to start to make their own uh, judgment on it. But we said it before the Ulster final, no pundit, no national pundit, and you were speaking to quite a few of them, journalists that, that, that work in the print media particularly, None of them had the guts to step outside of the line. It's all follow follow one after the other to say, yeah, well, I think that this is the way it's going to go. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. Because it's easier to agree and be wrong in mass than be the one who stands out in their own and is and is wrong when the result goes the way maybe people are predicted. Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. Like, and naturally enough, you're afraid to look foolish and and you know stand up and go, "May all going to win this game." You might look like people are going to go, if they got hammered, which could happen, people are going to say, geez, he hasn't a clue what he's talking about. But I, I'm looking at it and getting the sense that there's a lot in, in Mayo's favour, and I don't think they're going to collapse. Yeah. Now, the other part of it is, some part of that is de- is definitely hope as well. And I, and I think that was the same with Donegal, to be fair. people were A lot of people were wishing that they'd be the team to beat Dublin. Mm. And and maybe there's a part of me that's, say, that's wishing Mayo were going to beat, beat uh, Dublin, and there's confirmation bias there. And in my head, I'm seeing all these things that I want to see. But I'm trying to separate myself from that, and I just feel that it's it's set up nicely for Mayo, and they've been totally written off, like 100% completely written off, and you know that's a good way to come into a game because there's no pressure on you. And, and I know people are saying, oh, Dublin achieved a five in a row last year, and yet Jack McCarthy's brilliant interview with Bernard Brogan, where he, he said, said like he weighed very heavily on them and all that. And now they're you know they're free of the expectation and all that. I don't know if they are or not. Like, there's 31 counties against them now, and there's an awful lot of bad feeling out there about the Dublin teams. A lot of it unwarranted. Um, and like, there's there is always the aura around the top team that they're unbeatable. And like you saw with Cavan Gales in their pomp. Like I remember Collins playing the Gales in a championship quarter or something like that in Breffney Park on the lights, going one five to no score up, and we won six no score up. But you still didn't think they were going to win the game because it was Cavan Gales, and and like 
nobody can beat them. They're the, but like at the end of the day, they're, they're, they've still got two hands and two, two feet, same as everyone else. And the, there's that around Dublin. It was around Kilkenny Hoarders as well. And it's worth so much to them. But you know, if a team can go up and just and just believe in themselves, who knows? Yeah, I, I, I don't think Mayo's going to win it. But I do think they're going to give the closest game that we've we've seen to Dublin this year. But I definitely have to agree with you. This Dublin team is on the slide. I don't think it's as good as it was two years ago in particular, maybe even three years ago. I think that that was the greatest team of all time. And there are, there are kinks in the armour. Now, it's still a very strong armour. Don't get me wrong. But there are kinks in it, in my opinion. But anyway, talking points uh, for this week. Yeah, well, the, la- the last comment on that is, to, to win in All-Ireland, you're going to have to take risks, I think. And... Dublin have been risk averse for the last couple of years, and they're taking a few more risks. They're taking more risky shots and stuff now under Desi Farrell, but they're still programmed that way. And you know the likes of Connolly's not there anymore. The, a player that, that a genius that you, that you just can't uh, account for genius. You you might do everything right, but you cannot account for what a genius might do uh, with the ball on any given occasion. And he's not there. And I don't know if they have that. But anyway, that brings us on to the talking points nicely, Damien. One of the talking points that came in was, did Cavan perform better without fans? Definitely. Well, Cavan, whether it's without fans, whatever the reason being, 2020, Cavan performed better than they did in 2019. So there's, there's no doubt about it. Why they performed better, that's that's the question mark. Is it that the culture was right? I, I personally believe it's a lot more to do with the culture and the group than it was the, the fans. But I do think it added to their... It kind of took away from their expectation or their maybe the pressure within that group because there was a lot of new faces, a lot of younger guys coming in. So I think that that the culture was more to do with their their improved performance than the uh, than no fans. But I do think it contributed to it. Well, the funny thing you mentioned the culture. Uh, people might have seen something I tweeted. Do you know the way every year in the Celt we do our like a New Year's wish list fact file thing? Myself, yourself, uh, the two Mickeys, and Kevin Carney. And it's questions like who's going to win the championships, various championships. Um, I got everything wrong. <laughs> Did you get everything wrong? Well, you got one thing very much right. Cause the last question, that's what I was going to bring up. One of the questions is if I, if I was Mickey Graham, I would. I remember there was one if I was Matty McLean and I would. And I actually had written in, stop pissing on people's legs and, and telling them it was raining. And I said, no, I'm not going to print that. But I'm, we're at a safe distance now, so I can say that. But you said, if I was Mickey Graham, I would. You said... Change the culture within the squad. Less less social media posts of the panel members on nights out with a drink in their hand. I'm not against a drink, but they appear to almost, fair to comments, celebrate defeats in 2019, which makes no sense. I hope a leader emerges who can shout stop, because we're not that far away. Pressing words there. And on my end of it, I said, if I was Mickey Graham, I would try to create a really tight bond between the players, obvious as that is. Some leaders have left the squad, and the only way to make up for their absence is to be more than the sum of their parts. Name the panel as soon as possible and attach some prestige to being one of the chosen few. Uh, I think Mickey Graham read that, <laughs> mine and yours, and and, and that's the, where, the, where the master plan came from. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it turned out that there definitely was a change in culture. And, and Killian DeGunner referenced after that it was the tightest group, after the also final, it was the tightest group that he's ever been involved in in terms of county football that he said it, it felt more like a club team. So he definitely ticked those boxes and, and it paid dividend. So um, I, 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 to be honest, I think that it was already in motion probably by the time we had written that because it was this time last year and they were already training, they were back. We we knew by this stage that you were going to be down the likes of Dara McVitie and Conor Mina, you know, so... 
I think that, that, that the wheels were already in motion. I didn't know that they were already in motion, but I'm definitely not claiming that he read my thing and, and, and changed his mind. Well, I'm claiming that, yeah. <laughs> I'm claiming. I, did, I did hear about, about a, someone who went for a, for a job with a, with a team a few years ago and um, didn't get it, and the team went on and won something, and he claimed that, that he had left his manifesto in, in the waiting room and uh, and it was actually a, I won't name names, but it was actually a county team, and he claimed that he had left his manifesto in the waiting room, and that the person picked it up and followed it for a year and won with them. So that that does go on. Uh, next, yeah. So that's that that talking point. I, yeah, I think it did help Calvin because you know the supporters were just longing, craving to win something, and that can be a distraction, it can get in the way. I think of players, and I'm hopefully I'm hoping that'll help Mayo as well. To add to the, to add to that point, though, I think that having won the Ulster title without fans now they, the, the players have that monkey off their back the the adrenaline that can come from fans from a crowd from people cheering you on can can add to that i don't think that it's it's a thing that's going to hinder them oh gosh there, there's people back here now there's so much less pressure on them now because they've won that Ulster title that i think it's going to add to their performance when 20,000 Cavan supporters are cheering them on yeah i'm with you on that i really think that as well the big thing was to get the monkey off the back yeah. I really think that. And like we squandered the legacy in 97 through bad luck and carelessness, really. It could never should have gone on as long as it did. But I don't think it will this time. I, I think we've, we've, I'm hoping we've learned the lesson from that. And the other thing is, there's such a buzz around Cavan at the minute. Uh, hopefully when the restrictions and everything are lifted, people will be coming back to National League games. We'll probably have the cup there, chance to, to show the cup to the fans and all that. And maybe that's going to help turn Breffney Park into a cauldron again. Yeah. Because we need that. And the fact that it's Division 3. Yeah, that's it. Should. should be winning games, you'd imagine. And Breffley needs to become a, a fortress again for Cavan because uh, it, it hasn't been. Like, even this year, careless defeat at home to Clare. There's been loads. There's been a couple of bad losses at home every year in the last 10, 12 years. So that that needs to, to be addressed. Brady's Arva Limited, main dealers for Volkswagen cars and commercial vehicles, have been serving the needs of the motoring community in Cavan, Longford, Leitrim, Monaghan, Mead and the surrounding counties for over 50 years. A family-owned and family-run business, Brady's are famous for their long association with the GAA. If you're looking for a new or used car or commercial vehicle, check out Brady's Arva Limited. They provide an unrivaled sales and after-sales service and are open six days a week. Brady's Arva Limited. Get on the winning team today. See www.bradysarva.com for more details. Uh, here's another one. Club managers and the rising costs. I, I was having a discussion about this with, with uh, another GA man just yesterday. And we were, were, were compiling this for a podcast later on in the week on, on club, uh, the club managers that, are, that have been appointed already. As far as I can see, I, I think there's only three so far that are within their own club and um, that are managers and on two of those those three i think there's an outside coach coming in to help out so th- like there's one club that I, I was using the example of that is going to spend somewhere between 10 and 15000 on a management team for this year coming and yet their club facilities are quite poor they don't have the best pitch in the county they don't have massive they don't have a gym available, but yet they're spending that sort of money on on management. And I I think that that's arseways personally. I I feel that within the GA we've we've created a big big problem there. That um, 
this idea and, and maybe more so in Cavan than anywhere else it's it's this idea that you're never a prophet in your own land that's that's a big big problem you, somebody has to be a prophet in their own land like Mickey Hart has been a prophet in his own land Jim Gavin has been a prophet in his own land why is club football in Cavan different so I think we have to get rid of that we need in Cavan and, and all clubs for the best use of the resources to to come out we need um, club players or club Clubs generating management from within their own club. That's that's a very, very important thing. Now, the pathway has been hindered slightly. I don't think there's enough work going into developing coaches in Cavan at the moment, but we, we definitely have to start looking within and trusting from within our own club. This idea of, of always being from outside, I don't think it'll work. It's not sustainable. <clears throat> You're singing to the choir, Damien. I've just got up on my phone here an article from the Celt in 2011. Tom Riley was the chairman and the headline was board hits out as clubs opt to go outside and that occasion Tom Riley went mad he, he was really ranting and raving and he said we had done a survey got all the list of all the managers and there was only nine clubs in 2011 with inside managers and that provoked a furious reaction from the county chairman who said uh, my opinion is that a county cannot sustain that the dogs in the street know that many managers have been paid expenses and while that is not against the rules club can, clubs can use the money in better ways than that in than that in such tough tough times. I believe that down the road, Crow Park will bring in a rule stating that managers must be club members anyway. Basically, it's a joke what is happening. A lot of fellas managing clubs in Cavan wouldn't get managing their own club. It has to stop. People in the clubs that want glory at all costs have to face up to reality. The mad thing in that, that year was seven clubs uh, had managers from Fermanagh and another had a trainer from Fermanagh. And Fermanagh is a, is a county that has never won an Ulster senior title and uh, had, has very rarely ever won anything at any level of club football in Ulster. Now, there's not there's not seven Cavan men managing teams in Fermanagh, nor is there in Monaghan, nor is there in Tyrone, yet Cavan always seem to look look to outside counties to bring in managers, which I think it might be changing a bit. It's amazing that it did, back in the day, Cavan used to export missionaries like, like Mick Higgins and John Gerrile to places like Donegal and Longford uh, to train teams, but we always have looked outside, and that... that it's something that bugs me because you touched on it there. You're talking about clubs with poor facilities. Clubs don't realise this. Over 10 years, you could be given a succession of shite managers the price of a new pitch. That's, that's the reality of it. And you could you could be struggling with numbers in in your club or you might have uh, rival sports taking your, the youngsters uh, and attracting them to play their game. You're looking to the future. Why not spend the money on a coach to go into the school and and get maximised and wring every drop you can out of that now there's a, there's loads of good fellas training clubs loads of them and I'm, I wouldn't stop I wouldn't uh, begrudge any fella making money uh, off managing teams without them putting in a huge effort and all that but you have to look at some of the clubs that that are that you, you know from talking to people in the clubs that are they're spending money on this kind of stuff and it gets, it's a little bit reckless I think well particularly clubs that have trouble with numbers at underage and it's, it's, it's identified because they're amalgamating and have been for quite some time now, and yet they're not willing to use that money to generate the next generation to play football for the club. They're, they're, they're using it to, to squander on the sink and ship, really. That's the way I'd be looking at it. You're patching up holes by, with, with, with gold, essentially, and it shouldn't be happening. I, I, I strongly believe, and I know people will say, oh, you were with Killing Care and with Mullahorn. I was, but... With Mullahorn, who was an inside manager, Shani, and I'd have connections with Mullahorn. But on top of that, they didn't they didn't have somebody within the club. But if the, if Cavan or Series were going to have to start generating 
people within the club to do it. Now, there are some boys, I'm just looking at you on that list, there's a few more, I think we, we might have five or six that are within their own club, actually looking through that list now, but there still should be, out of 40 clubs or 39 clubs as it, current, as it currently is, there should be at least half of them are within their own club. You'd imagine so. Now, I don't want any manager from that's managing a, a club that's not their own club to listen to this and say, Jesus, the those pair of assholes criticising us. I, I don't begrudge to any manager to, to go out. Like you, maybe you're involved in the game and you want to go out and train a team and challenge yourself and it's what you get enjoyment out of and you're giving up a lot of time. You're totally entitled to, to be recompensed for that. It's not that. I just think in general, I don't think it's a good culture uh, where where that goes on all the time. It's always it's the first option all the time. I think, and like it's, I don't know how you go about addressing that. And I, I think if Crow Park brought in a rule... Uh, about it, it'd be just abuse. It'd be completely abuse because because the rule is that you don't pay managers at the minute, and everyone knows that's not ignored. So look, it's it's a good talking point. That's the kind of talking points we want, lads. <laughs> Give us another one. Cavan need a marquee forward. Does Jason brackets Ravenelli not have any younger brothers? Uh, yeah, do we need a marquee forward? We just want Ulster. <laughs> Come on now, lazy talking point. We, we we probably have a few marquee forwards there, and and. I, I look at. I don't think that we had a problem scoring because I think it's better to have eight, nine, ten scorers on the field than one Conor McManus. Who, if he's blotted out, all of a sudden you're you're wondering who's going to get the scores to win the game for you. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Although I, I, I I'd like to see some of these young forwards. I'd like to see one of them step up now. Uh, like realistically, they always say in soccer the hardest thing to do in professional soccer is put the ball in the net, and I think the hardest thing in probably in senior intercounty football as well is to do the same or to put it over the bar like uh, we've we've a serious group of young forwards there every one of them 22 or younger you're Con- Connor Smith Thomas Edward Donahue Cormac O'Reilly Oshin Pearson um, I'm sure I'm forgetting others there. there there's lots of them in around Oshin Brady. Brady he's younger again yeah loads of them yeah so I want to see one, one of those lads step up just one of them step up and be a be a brilliant player. Like, and that's, I'm you know, greedy. I want to see them all step up. Every single one of them. It's, it's, I don't think it's possible to develop five uh, to develop five David Cliffords there. Why not? Dublin have created a, a Dean Rock who's God, as Joe Broly said. You have Kieran Kilkenny, you have you have um, Conal Callaghan. You know, they, they've created quite a few. Yeah, well, on the inside forwards, I think Kilkenny... Kilkenny and O'Callaghan. I know, I know O'Callaghan's an inside forward, but I, I could imagine O'Callaghan playing, playing half-back and being brilliant. Um, He's playing more out the field in this year's yeah, championship. Yeah. And Kilkenny's actually reversed his role from a half-forward to more of an inside forward. An inside forward, yeah. But I'm talking about your, your, your Mannion or uh, Clifford, the inside scoring forward. But that brings us on to the next talking point, which I'm interested to get your thoughts on this one, Damien. Apart from McVitie and Mina, what players in, in Cavan could add to what we did this year? And the, the texter gives the, a few examples. Art Keating slash Givney too old. Argue Patrick Lynch, Niall McDermott. A few, a few names thrown out there. Patrick Lynch is not too old. I, I, I'll state that. <laughs> He's definitely not too old. The other guys, you know, probably they're, they're too long out of it for me that, that I, don't, I don't necessarily think that they'd be able to jump back in. And I'd be reluctant to change anything with the squad this year for the simple reason that the Going back to it again, the culture was right, the attitude was right, their their behaviour throughout the entire year was exemplary. I'd I'd be reluctant to make any changes onto that squad. If I was Mickey Graham, I'd I'd be look at there is some talent out there without naming anybody. 
there is some talent out there, but if they come in, they're, they're going to have to conform to what is the new culture within that group. And and if they do, there are there's definitely still more talent out there. But whether the talent is enough, or are they are they able to adjust to that atmosphere, to that culture? That's a big, big thing. So I'd I'd be reluctant to make wholesale changes. I, you know, if if there's two or three changes to that panel, I think it'd be it'd be enough. I wouldn't like to see it more than that personally. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from there. Like I, I'd imagine the way Graham is looking at it is um, develop the young fellas that he has brought in, and it's already exposed to that level. Now I would like to see Darren McFeely back on the panel, of course. Like he, he's Jimmy Higgins described him as the best player in Cavan after the county final, and one of the best in Ulster. Uh, and he, when he was asked about the, what the lost star was to them, like I'd like to see Darby Feedy back in there. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots more out there. The fellas that were mentioned, uh, Patrick Lynch, the obvious one, Keating and, and Givney. Like I got, I got slagged before about praising David Givney so highly on the podcast, but I, I, he was one of my favourite players when he was there. But again, probably a bit long out of it now at this stage. It would be, be a lot to, to ask for him to come back uh, and and make a big impression at 30, 31 years of age. I've been out for a few years. Uh, we're getting near the end here, Damien. Um, a lot of people saying we need to change our intro music, update it, something project for the for the over the Christmas. Yeah, definitely. I I, I think definitely the, the broken clock with hope has to go into there somewhere. You know, we'll get rid of Tommy Tiernan and Euron Cavan now. We'll put in the broken clock. I think, and and. Uh, and the Buckfast football probably has to go because we've definitely um, been been promoted to champagne football because we know a lot about it now after watching Cavan this year, thank God. Uh, last two talking points. One, I, I asked for no shy talking points, lads. Does Cavan need to have a good year next year to show real improvement? Uh, not answering that. Uh, no, like, no, we need to have a bad year. Come on, come on, you're better than that. Uh, last talking point. Need to start putting time, money into coaching development one or two per club in order to to push and compete. Again, lads. Well, actually, I know I'll, I'll agree with that, and I think that comes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier on in terms of coaches getting the job within their own club. We we, we definitely have to start identifying talent as coaches as well as players because players don't come through without good coaches. So at some point, like don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good coaches out out there, obviously to, for for a certain standard that, that we've reached, but I don't think you can ever have too many coaches. And I think that clubs need to be given a bit more support in terms of helping coaches to qualify, to go up into the higher levels of, of GA coaching, you know, the, the, the accreditations that are out there. I, I, I think we could do with a wee bit more support in that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think, I think here in Callaghan as well, someone we haven't mentioned much in the podcast as chairman, needs to get a serious bit of credit for this year. And people will say, look, he's only in one year. Uh, but look, we're talking about a culture change in the Cavan dressing room, but a culture change um, comes from the top. And I think like it, you mightn't be there long enough to affect huge change, but you can bring in maybe a different level of accountability, a different way you go about things. I think, like not casting aspersions on the previous regime, but I think I think Kieran Callaghan has, has played a big role in that as well. Yeah, I I have to agree, and and look at for for some of the detail that I'd I'd love to be able to go into, but I I can't as my role is on the twenty manager. But some of the work he's doing behind the scenes is is just is very innovative, and we'll see the fruits of the labour. We'll we'll even see the plans of it. I think within the next month or so, and some of it is just genius, absolute genius stuff that he has there. But 
what he's bringing is definitely a level of accountability. And, and he's put the pressure on to everybody that's involved in Cavan GEA about, you know, you've got to, you've got to do the job here. And at the end of the year, we've got to have a review meeting. We've got to sit down and make sure that, that right, what went right, what went wrong, who's, to, who's, who's accountable for those mistakes and how can we make sure they don't happen again. And even that simple conversation focuses your mind on the task in hand. And that's something that, that I think is a, a huge benefit to Calvin. Yeah, and just that's the, all the talking points statement, but you mentioned your role as under 20 manager. Uh, what we agreed to do is I, I'm going to interview you on the podcast one day. He says, I'm telling you now, Donahue, you may, you may put on some kind of a hard hat or something. I'm going to be Jeremy Paxman. I'm going for the throat here in this interview. So start doing your homework. Yeah, I, I, I have to say that I can't wait for this one. It's going to be such a, a different experience. What, I, what I'm really looking forward to is the fact that I know you will do that. And that's, that's, that's what I'm, I want that challenge. So, uh, yeah, get ready for a completely different day. I, I've, I've been talking with Mickey Graham. I've been talking with Terry Hyland, getting tips from the two of them on how to say loads without telling anything. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to really try to hammer that home. Yeah, well, I, I, I won't do a Paul Kimmage on it. I always remember reading an interview that Kimmage did one time, and uh, it was with it was with some Irish athlete, and I think it was maybe the Atlanta Olympics or something like that. And the athlete said something like, "I might be sure what discipline this person was in." I think it was a, it was a female, and she said something like, "Look, it's just an absolute privilege. The highlight for me uh, is getting chosen to carry the torch in the, in the procession at the opening ceremony." And she's like, it means so much to my family. All that. And Kimmage goes, I'll stop you there. He goes, I hear that and I think, loser. <laughs> and I thought, my Jesus, what a hard-nosed interviewer Kimmage is. So that's what's coming for you. Oh, I can't wait. So, folks, thanks a million for uh, listening in to the McAvoy Super Value GEA podcast. Don't forget to check out the Die Hard service over on patreon.com forward slash wearecavan, where we have our match day diary from last week's All-Ireland semi-final against Dublin. A different team to it. And if you uh, if you want to hear Mickey Brennan singing, that's a good podcast for you uh, to, to finish off with. And we'll also be going through the managerial merry-go-round, um, as well as catching up with the new Cavan Ladies football manager, uh, Aideen Coyle, spoke with Jerry a little bit earlier on in the week.